This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Welcome to Pass the Mic. I'm your producer, Bo York, and with me, ladies and gentlemen, your usual hosts are here. Let's let's go ahead and start off with the man, the myth, the legend, Tyler Burns. <laughs> What's going on, bro? <laughs> we also have Jamar Tisby, who is also mythical and legendary. I'm I'm frantically searching out the names of Jedi Council members. <laughs> you, know, you know what I just found out, and y'all should know this: Jamar just got elected mayor of Wokeville. Yo, <laughs> yo, where the hand claps at? Yo, shout out to Jamar, Mayor Mayor Tisby, Mayor of Wokeville. Uh-huh. That's awesome, bro. Um, congrats. I'm not coming, but hey, congrats. Bro. Hey, hey, I just want to say, as I was uh, editing that, I'm coming in too hot. Let me make an adjustment there. As I was editing that episode, uh, I, I and I was actually earlier that day listening to uh, to another Pass the Mic episode, and I thought, you know, I could really just cut out like Tyler's comments here and then play it, and he'd be arguing with himself. Because the exact same arguments you made against Woke, you, you actually made for other such terminology against that exact argument. Whoa. I could pull no, some Daily Show John Stewart no, type stuff. No, don't do this. <laughs> don't do this, Mr. Producer. That is totally this is falsehood. Wait, this oh, is gonna oh, be this is fake news, huh? Okay. This is alternative Alt- facts, bro. <laughs> no, no. This this is a special episode of Pass the Mic. We are doing an AMA and Ask Me Anything that we put it out to the Facebook group over at uh, Facebook.com slash the Facebook group that is Pass the Mic. That's not the address, but hey, if you search for us, you'll find us. And uh, yeah, you guys have been so awesome earlier today. And uh, in fact, I believe last night, uh, we've been collecting a ton of questions. I hope we can get through all of these, but we'll definitely get through as many as possible. Um, these questions, again, are by you guys, listeners, those of you specifically who sent them in over at the fa- uh, the Pass the Mic Facebook group. We thank you so much for being a member there. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive into this. You guys ready? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get it. All right, Tyler, not sure if this has been covered on the Pass the Mic podcast, but I'd love to hear y'all's life stories and testimonies as well as friends of Pass the Mic. I know that's not core to what y'all are doing, uh, but it's just a comment. Keep up the good work. That's from Mark Miller. So life and testimonies of Tyler Burns and Jamar Tisby. Yeah, shout out to uh, Mark. He reached out to me earlier and actually asked this question. I said, that's just really... um, just really a, a great line of questioning to start with. And this is central and core to what we do because we are believers. We have been saved by grace through faith. Um, not that anything that we've done, but it's all a gift from God. So um, 25 years ago, my father founded New Dimensions Christian Center. And this Sunday we'll be celebrating 25 years of ministry. And that was when I was three years old. He had previously been an assistant pastor along with um, a worship pastor at a predominantly white uh, church. So we were one of the only black families. And uh, then, well, they were one of the only black families. Then I came and he branched out and planted a church. And I remember one of his initial sermons, he mentioned the reality of hell. He mentioned the reality of the judgment and the way he described it. My dad is a a Mississippi preacher. So the way he described it was incredibly vivid and it was intense. And he told 
what his grandmother had told him when he was out clubbing and playing in the bars. He played in a band back in the bars um, uh, back in the day. And she told him, she pointed her finger at him, said, hell is hot and eternity is a long, long time. And he's just started describing it and all these things biblically. And, you know, me, three years old, just sitting in the sanctuary. I'm like, man, what is this? You know, and we get in the car and I say, listen, whatever uh, y'all talked about the hot place today, like whatever I can do to get out of the hot place, we need to talk about that, you know, because I don't want to go there. And they kind of laughed. But that night, my dad opened up the scriptures and talked talk to me about sin and conviction and offending God and the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And in that moment, I'll say, I'll use this terminology that my faith journey started at that moment. You know, some people can point to a specific moment of conversion. I used to point to that as a specific moment of conversion. I do believe in biblical conversion, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the moment where everything changed for me, but it, it initiated the faith journey and it initiated the salvation journey. Um, and so got it obviously plugged into a local church, was taught the gospel frequently and um, things started to change. I didn't want to sin no more, as they say, um, got older, went through the rocky parts of my faith, doubted all these things and um, really came to a, a realization that God was present and working in my life actively when I was 12. So I kind of point to that as kind of more of the conversion moment than when I was three or four years old. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, it for me. I could go into more detail, but but Jamar? Uh, yeah, my conversion story, I grew up in a, a Christian-friendly household. Uh, that is to say, we, we you know, our family didn't really practice um christianity we didn't go to church or anything but we weren't hostile to it and and interestingly i was baptized at the age of eight in a southern baptist church which was literally across the street from our house i'm talking you could you could jump across the street and you'd be in the church parking lot um but it was just sort of kind of it just kind of was something you do you know i i certainly didn't meaning and um i think my parents just kind of wanted that that spiritual life insurance type of deal <laughs> of course <laughs> um so so that was it although I, I i went to catholic schools grades k through nine so i was always k through eight rather i was always around talk about religion and god and all that good stuff so it was never foreign to me i was never hostile to it it just wasn't a priority until I got to high school and in high school, I was really searching. I was really, you know, there are all these different cliques in high school. You got, you got the skater group, you got the the drama club kids, you got the, the athletes. I didn't fit into any of those groups. And I was constantly trying to mold and conform myself to fit in, but it, it, it wasn't working. I didn't know who I was. And so I'm having this existential crisis at like 15 years old, you know, and a, a guy in my first period physical education class uh, named Christopher Toe for short, he did a, just like a classic evangelistic uh, process with me. Um, he he just struck up conversations in class. We became friends. We started hanging out. And then he invited me to youth group. And that kind of did it for me because mm. I was finally amongst a group of people where I felt welcome. Um, the youth pastor there, his name is Dave. I love him to this day. Uh, helped lead me to Christ. He did a really great job of saying that 
you know, whoever comes into this youth group, no matter who they are, no matter if they're the cool kid, the dorky kid, whatever, you love them because God loves them. And, and I mean, these are teenagers and they took that seriously. So I finally felt welcome. He did, you know, 15, 20 minute sermon messages every, every week. And it just struck, like, I was like, this makes sense. And so I prayed the sinner's prayer, you know? And so there was a distinct moment where I consciously accepted Christ, but of course the process of sanctification is ongoing. And I really felt like I had a, um, I think, uh, some people term it like a gospel awakening uh, in college. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really involved with my youth group during high school, but then in college is when I got um, exposed to the teachings of reformed theology. And that was, that was like a new vista in my faith. And so um, I'd always taken my faith seriously from, from the moment I joined that community. But then I started thinking uh, very deeply about theology at that point. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah, like I I also prayed the sinner's prayer. I just, you know, I don't know how people are about that. You know? <laughs> people are iffy about, you know, asking Jesus into your heart, that type of thing, accepting him and those types of things. So, but there was a def- definitive moment of, you know, believing in my heart, confessing with my mouth. Right, um, right, right. But yeah, I so saw, you know, people, I just don't want to offend the people like, ah, what, you're praying the sinner's prayer? You're not saved, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> look, you know, we got. It's one of these things where God will 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 use a variety of means, even if they're imperfect, right? Like, there, I mean, there were certainly some very imperfect things about the way I, I first learned the faith, but God still used it. I mean, it was still an authentic relationship. It was an authentic, um, you know, submitting my will to His will, and I'm thankful for that, man. I really am. So, you know, no, no, never be ashamed of your testimony. So we've got a, another question from Bree Dash who writes in and says, I think it was Jamar who has spoken about how unpopular his voice and black perspective has been in the church and how he has been getting hate and fighting the battle for much longer than these newbies. What or who kept you going or was anyone there for you to give you valid validity? Huh. I, I don't know if I spoke about newbies. If I did, I apologize. I don't mean to insult anybody. But yeah, I've been in the game. I've been in the game for a minute. Um, That's what happens when you mayor of Wokeville. That's what happens. <laughs> Somebody salty. Does, they don't say that anymore, do they? But anyway, um, it has been hard. It has been very hard. And this is probably not a great time to ask me because it's 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 been an especially sort of acute season of feeling the weightiness of this work. And um, there are many times, <laughs> almost on a daily basis sometimes, where you, you wonder a lot of different things. One, am I crazy? Am, am I not speaking mm-hmm. the truth? Am, am I off base here? Two, is this making any difference because things don't seem to be changing three? Is it worth it? Because all this blowback, all this pushback, even from people who I would consider sort of friends and, and um, thought would have my back. So a lot of those thoughts go through, I will say they they do sort of come, it ebbs and flows. It does come in seasons. And so it, it, it doesn't last forever. It's not perpetual in the sense that, Personally, I don't always feel sort of under siege about this work. At the same time, um, I think when I was getting started, there's there's sort of like a a, a kumbaya Christianity where we talk about reconciliation in such a way 
that it's it's not even offensive, right? Like everybody wants to get together. You know, the more we get together, the happier we'll be. And everybody wants to sing that song and, you know, put arms around shoulders and sway and sing together along the so so when i was in that phase you know there was no there was celebration even from my white brothers and sisters um because it was just about people getting together and getting along well the Mm -hmm. deeper i got in that work the more you realize that truth and justice are part of it and that's the part that stings so not to go on for too long but you know sort of to get through those times of more acute um pushback is community man i mean Guys like Bo and Tyler uh, and many, many others I could name just get me through and say, you know, you're not crazy. Keep doing this work. And then honestly, our past the mic listeners have been really encouraging. Just talking about how they've shared the podcast, how how they have grown in awareness, how people they've talked to, they've spurred conversations. So just reminds me that what we're doing can make a difference. Good. Brie also asked, can you talk about reform theology and where could a person new to reform theology, uh, where should they start for a biblical study? Now, you know, this is you, Jamar. Now, you know, this is you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did we talk about seminary? No, nah, just talking about at, at all. Just period. About reform, how, how you get into reform theology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just your introduction to it. Uh, all right. So introduction to it. This, not everybody's going to agree with this, but I found really really helpful, John Frame. He is a theologian who teaches at Reformed Theological Seminary, the Orlando campus, but he's had a, a broad background academically. He's one of the most you'll, you'll, you'll ever run into. But I love the way he writes. He's a systematic theologian. He just came out with a book called Systematic Theology, an Introduction to Christian Belief. It's like 800 pages. It's massive. But he writes in this conversational easy to understand tone. And he has a very expansive theology that's not afraid of all of creation, right? So, so, so he'll take and learn wherever he can, but filter it all through a biblical grid. He has something called triperspectivalism, which is a big word for three viewpoints. And so he talks about, um, he talks about the, the, uh, existential, um, blanking on the names right now, uh, I'll come back to it, but I love John Frame's work and that's a good introduction. Um, beyond that, you know, any of the, any of the folks you've heard of is a good introduction. The hard part is the contextualization part is the racial and ethnic diversity. The hard part is how you apply these teachings to different and social situations. Mm. Um, and I think we'll get into that later. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's important to at least point out that, you know, frame doesn't necessarily have a tremendous record of of doing that. So I think that is, that is something that, you know, even while we, we speak towards, you know, those who have a deep understanding of theology proper and, and the many different ways in which um, the many different theological disciplines that there is, shortcomings even in the way that they characterize race and culture and those types of things which i've read from frame as well so just throwing that out there for people so they're not caught off guard if you go back you can go back further i love herman bavink um the way the way that he writes uh systematic theology and biblical theology as well and so but the 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 major issue is that it's been written mainly from a western european north american white middle 
or upper class educated male background Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you won't get much other diversity. So that's why I say the hard part isn't just getting into reformed theology and sort of getting the broad contours of it. The, The hard part is if you're black or a woman or poor mm-hmm. and, and sure. trying to apply that to your situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was, it was the introduction of, of, you know, people like Piper and Packer and Sproul that really led me down and Tim Keller as well, which led me down the reformed path. But honestly, actually for me, reformed theology, which is a, an interesting story, but reformed theology was introduced to me through Christian hip hop. Yeah, so Christian yeah, yeah. hip hop was proliferating. John Owen and and these people would, <laughs> would weave them in and out of their of their rhymes. And so I was like, who are these people that they're talking about? And then obviously when the Rebel album came out with Lecrae, and a lot of people don't really understand how much that was subversive for the mm. moment, like for mm. that time. You know, we're talking about Preach. using Mark Driscoll, using John Piper. It was just it was just crazy to use not just even the and these men are actually part of more of a, a young restless and reform type subculture, not necessarily like historically reformed theology as we would describe it. Um, some people bristle at the idea that they're reformed, you know, uh, just due to some of their doctrinal stances. So I didn't know anything about that. I said, man, well, if, if they listen to them and I like their content, man, let me go. That's pick right. up these books. Let That's me pick right. up Desiring God and Knowing God and the Holiness of God, and and let me pick up uh, pick up Death by Love and all that stuff. So that that was actually the introduction. The introduction was through Christian hip hop, and then it kind of led me down the rabbit hole, and then I kind of accepted it without really investigating the broader implications of what Reformed theology even meant. It was just fresh and new to me, so I was just like, let me just buy into it wholesale. Right. Right. So now you kind of have to step back and say, well, how does this? What is Reformed theology? And more so, ref- the the reform subculture, which I think is is a fair critique. What does the current reform subculture in America say to my blackness? What does it say about my mm. body? What does it say mm. about you know where I live? What does it say about racism? What does it say about uh, dignity? What does it say about misogyny and patriarchy mm. and sexism and all those things? So that's why you have to take a step back and say, oh, okay, well, well, let's kind of figure out how this actually applies. And so we'll get into that in a second. But just some of the other voices that have influenced us now that we're in this place of yes reform soteriologically but then also working through the implications of what that looks like on a day-to-day so well now this next question i think uh, speaks a lot to what you guys have been talking about and also it's it's definitely the one that jamar you were just you're ready to jump into which is <laughs> what is it like to be an ethnic minority in seminary that's oh. all you jamar come on uh. come on mayor come on tell him <laughs> tell him what's up, bro. look I think there's value in dedicated time to structured theological studies under experts, right? Like the people you're learning from have terminal degrees. They've, they've done dissertations. They've studied this for years. They know their stuff, especially if it comes to the biblical languages. I was privileged to be able to take Hebrew and Greek. And that's just sort of mind blowing because it introduces you to a whole new system of language that you can apply to the word of God and, and the richness just, just wells up afresh from the word. In addition, you're, you're there with a cohort of people. And so, you know, there's, there's the lectures in class, there's the books you read, and then there's the conversations after class or, uh, you know, around your beverage of choice, depending on what kind of reform theology you, you, you practice. Um, so all of that's good. 
as an ethnic minority, I had to pay careful attention to the curriculum and to taking the initiative to get out of a seminary education what I needed. And so to a certain extent, all seminary students have to do that, right? All seminary students, if you're wise, you, you, you think about your context and you try to sort of make sure that you get what you need. For racial and ethnic minorities, though, you're not typically reading authors who are from your background. You're not typically talking about contexts um, with which you're familiar. And so there's extra work. And what I would say, what I had to do and what I would, you know, highly encourage other racial and ethnic minorities to do is take ownership of your education. Trust me, professors, they, they assign books and they want you to, to do those books. But if you have a conversation with them and say, listen, this is where I believe um, my ministry is taking me. This is who I want to serve. Can I do this paper on this topic? Can I read this book or sub this out? Or can I you know, do this project? Um, I did that several times and it was helpful. And I'll say one last thing. Because of this, the the sort of strictures of the curriculum, I decided to, you can pick a concentration. I did the Master's in Divinity, the MDiv, and I, I picked a concentration of missions. And I picked missions because it was the one place in the curriculum that took culture seriously and centrally, right? Other parts of the curriculum talk about culture, but missions it's, it's, it's right in front of you because they're typically thinking about foreign missions. But I was thinking about how do I serve African-Americans? How do I contextualize Reformed theology in a way that resonates with our history and our present experience? So, you know, all of that to say is you've got to take initiative to make it what you want, because if you're waiting for your professors or classmates to do it for you, probably not going to happen. Yeah, that's good, bro. All right, this next one, Tyler, why don't you take this? I think this is really a great question from Erwin. He says, what people from other ethnic minorities do you read or are you learning from and who would you recommend? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, I would say off the top of my head, uh, Dr. Soong Chan Ra, who's no yes. stranger to the podcast. Yes. Um, as an Asian theologian at North Park Theological Seminary, has been formative. Read everything that he writes. Um, the next evangelicalism, prophetic lament, many colors, etc. I also think of um, Dr. Alex Jun as well, um, yeah. who is a professor at I believe it's Azusa Pacific. Am I am I saying that? Properly? That's right. That's right. And he's no stranger to the show. We actually have a great interview coming up with him and Professor Christopher Collins about their new book, White Out. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and actually, then, we can get the audio for that. We got to redo that one. Yeah, got to redo right. that one. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just coming. See, I didn't. <laughs> okay. I just said. It's just, <laughs> Okay. You have to tell them that. That's an overshare. Once you get your hope up. <laughs> so woke you oversharing. Anyway, so um <laughs> here we go. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, but uh actually I was recently in New York and got the chance to sit down with a couple of brothers who I'm coming just to to respect and and love very much, uh Pastor Rich Perez and uh Alex Medina, and mm. got uh the chance to sit down with them and they were talking with me about Justo Gonzalez and yes. um his books and his work. And it, it led me to invest in his books as well. So um, uh, I got that on the reading list coming up and learning um, just from that perspective. And then I'll say this, and this is really important. When we say ethnic minorities, and when we say reading them, I also want to encourage people to read the people, black theologians who are outside of our tribe. Come on, please, now. Come please, on please, now. please, please, please. And, and this is something 
I'm not trying to push like a certain theological construct. I'm just saying it's just incredibly helpful. And I think you're only hearing one side of the story if you only listen to minorities, ethnic minorities, who are on the standard Young, Restless, and Reformed websites and, you know, getting those standard book deals and you're following them and you're retweeting them. But there are others. I mean, just a couple of names. J.D. Otis Roberts is phenomenal. Um, you definitely need to read some of his work, uh, The Prophet of the Black Believers in particular. Um, I'm reading Kenyatta Gilbert right now. He's been incredibly helpful when it comes to preaching. I've mentioned Dr. Frank Thomas. Um, there are womanist theologians that I, I read and I, I take notes from just to understand where they're coming from. Um, so there's a lot of people that I would just encourage you to, to investigate. I would just encourage you to investigate outside of your tribe. For me, being outside of the denominational circle has been very dignifying for me to hear different voices and to hear different perspectives on text because it's expanded the way that I view um, the scriptures and the gospel. So what about you, Jamar? As far as what I'm reading, um, I, I amen everything Tyler said, and I'll give you some specific book recommendations. Uh, this is by, one is by a white guy, but it's super helpful. Thomas C. Oden, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, will give you a sense of the African roots of Christianity. Uh, another one that I highly recommend, it's more on the academic side, but if you are at a college or seminary that is Christian or, or even not, make sure your librarian orders this book. It's called The Power of Unearned Suffering. And the subtitle is The Roots and Implications of Martin Luther King Jr.'s Theodicy. Yeah, and that Mike, is by Mike Edmondson. Yes, that is by our friend, good brother, and just on another level, intellectually and theologically, Micah Edmondson. Also, um, I just I read the book uh, by Howard Thurman called Jesus. Oh, and, and the Disinherited, right? Yes. You know, yes. what's interesting is Martin Luther King Jr. carried a copy of that book around with him at all times. Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's crazy. Um, it's super short. I mean, you can read that in a couple of hours and really helpful there. Um, another one I like, Vincent Bacope, who's been on the show a couple of times. He's a professor at Wheaton and he does public theology. So he's got a very short book called The Spirit in Public Theology about uh, Kuiper's theology. Um, love Sung Chen Ra and all his work. And also don't, don't overlook Martin Luther King Jr. either. I mean, his works are very um, scripturally informed and and helpful, particularly as you think about issues of public justice. Uh, so, and then I'll recommend one last one is by another white guy, but talking about uh, uh, African Americans is uh, Charles Marsh in his book God's Long Summer, and actually, oh, yeah. I just thought of uh, John Perkins and his book. Um, his autobiography. So those are some ones I learned from. Yeah. So I got to say, Kevin Garcia is correcting me. It's Justo. See, I heard somebody <laughs> say Justo. Now he's making See? fun of me. Oh, this is live. This is live. He's making fun of me in the group now. He's spelling it Justo. That's very funny. That's very look, funny, Kevin. Look. I made a mistake. Listen, I'm a sheep. So I heard somebody say it one time. So I was like, oh, okay. That's how you say it. So I'm learning, y'all. I'm learning. That's good. That's the beauty of uh, live recording is getting that direct, immediate feedback. Uh, all right. We've also got the next question comes in from Chelsea who writes in saying, how does the movement of the Holy Spirit healing kingdom on earth? Uh, as Jesus tells us, we receive power through the Holy Spirit. How does that intersect with racial unity? Uh, also remaining true to the gospel when many churches that seek racial and social justice tend to lean more quote progressive. All right, Tyler, you're the Pentecostal up in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
I'm not Pentecostal. <laughs> I'm charismatic, but hey, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Chelsea, you know, Acts 1-8 makes it clear that Jesus says to his disciples, you receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you um, and you'll be witnesses, you know, and I think it's, it's really uh, important for us to all acknowledge. And I think we would all theologically agree with this, that the spirit is central to salvation. The spirit is central to sanctification. And then the spirit is central to Christian mission. Like there is no great commission without the spirit, without the paraclete, the comforter, um, the one who will lead and guide us into all truth and testify of Christ. Now, if I can put my my charismatic hat on, um, I would say that what we're dealing with as far as racial justice and reconciliation is not primarily just an intellectual work. That it is, we believe we're we're fighting spiritual strongholds, principalities and powers. Um, And so I think it's very important for us to acknowledge the spiritual warfare aspect of racial reconciliation or racial justice work. Now, Again, I think that would be something we would agree with. But then I think that 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a great arsenal of of weapons to use as we go throughout um, our our daily walk as Christians. And they're particularly applicable in leading and guiding us to where we should go and what we should do. And it doesn't necessarily even just have to be those gifts found in, in 1 Corinthians. It might be just a leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit that we don't do anything without appealing to to this great force that resides on the inside of every believer and dwelling us to to lead us and guide us in the in the right way lead us into all truth even with how we say things on social media even with how we say things um in in person even with our frustration even with our anguish etc so um i think it's very important uh, for us to utilize um, the Holy Spirit's help. Uh, otherwise, we are completely ineffectual. There's in in Him we live, we move, we have our being. Come on um, now. Without that, we are nothing, you know, Paul says, Acts 17. So, yeah, I, I took the first side. You can comment on that. You can take the second question as well on progressivism. Progressivism. Say it one more time, Bo. <laughs> this is also remaining true to the gospel when many churches that seek racial and social justice tend to lean towards more, quote, progressive. Uh, all right. So I, I think we need to interrogate what we mean by progressive, because typically in white evangelical circles, that means you're talking about race or you talk about gender or you're talking about poverty. And I always refer to Galatians 3.28, saying there's no Jew agree, there's no slavery free, there's no male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, which is not erasing distinctions. And those distinctions matter. But what it says is we're, we're, we're equal spiritually in the sight of God, no matter if we're rich or poor, black or white, uh, from a different ethnic descent or male or female. Um, God, God saves us equally, no matter our social or cultural location. And, and, and what's so interesting is in spite of that teaching, which is not just in that verse, it's not a proof text. It's all over the Bible. Um, when, when we talk in white evangelical circles about, racial and ethnic diversity or racism, or when we talk about how we treat women in the church because of our particular teachings on certain things, or when we talk about how we minister to or include the poor in our fellowships, a lot of times that's when the progressive label gets trotted out. And I think that's thoroughly unbiblical because number one, we're all conservative, we're all progressive. It just matters what are you conserving and, and what are you progressing on? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be progressive if we're moving past racism 
label me, please. Um, Talk about that. That's so I, I, I just want us to be very careful because we have this knee-jerk reaction in these these theological circles to, to automatically label something as, as liberal or progressive, and that's automatically wrong, and I don't think it always is. Now, I think for the person asking the question, um, you know, maybe they understand that. And so they're talking, when we talk about progressive, we're, we're typically talking about women's ordination. We're typically talking about issues of LGBTQ and sexual ethics. That's, that's sort of our climate and our moment right now. Um, I get it. I get it. But to me, I mean, I spent a long time in seminary learning about reformed theology. And I like to think that gives me a framework so that when I'm interacting with people who believe different, I don't have to freak out that I'm going to lose my faith. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think we need to, to, mm -hmm. to not be so scared and so timid that people believe different and know that we can hold on to our beliefs, even in the midst of people who believe differently. And then number two, I, I want to push us to think about what are issues of salvific importance importance. Because I think we have the mindset that if somebody disagrees with us on certain theological points, they're going to hell. When the mm -hmm. reality is they confess the same Christ that we do, but they understand some different issues, which we would call secondary, secondary to salvation, differently. And so why are we treating them like, like they're not brothers and sisters in Christ? I, I, I think that's wrong. And mm -hmm. so we can have important differences that mean we can't necessarily worship in the same congregation together, but that doesn't mean that they're not Christian. And we certainly wouldn't want them to treat us like we're not Christian. So I think we need to have some grace and some charity in those conversations. And that's good, bro. That's good. Heather asked the question, how do you take care of yourself after big conflicts, demands, or spiritually draining moments? <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'll lead off with this. Um, man, this is of particular importance to me because I am prone to experience and have since say probably my preteen years experience what I would just call mental darkness. Um, so, you know, I, I, it was never like diagnosis, clinical depression or things of that nature, but it certainly feels like it could be, or um, at some times it, it flares up in ways that I, I don't really know how to explain. And so it's helpful to know that there are others um, in the faith who have struggled with profound discouragement um, or what they would consider to be just a dark night of the soul. And, uh -huh. and so for me, it's very important not to, to be very aggressive at guarding my mental health because it can be bad if I don't. So one of the things that has been extremely helpful for me is Sabbath. <laughs> uh -huh. Hey, you know, following this command, you know, um, but the Sabbath is massively important. I read a book and, and I don't believe he's a Christian. I believe he's a Jewish rabbi, but Abraham Heschel wrote a book about the Sabbath and just reading him talk, reading, just hearing him talk about what the Sabbath meant to him. Um, just from that limited, you know, we would disagree on maybe salvific issues, of course, but, you know, just hearing him talk about that I was like, man, wow. Like this is, he, he really honors this, this day. He really honors the day in which we, we acknowledge that we are not God and uh, we cannot, you know, we put all we have into six days, but we cannot, we're not meant to run on seven days with no breaks, et cetera. So that's important for me. Also silence and solitude is important for me. Um, just that spiritual discipline of uh, spending time with the Lord in the mornings, which is very important uh, that I cannot get through a day 
in a sane manner without doing that. That's just how mm. important it is for me. And then finally, I say just seclusion. Not everyone is meant to pursue every single person who could be convinced on racial reconciliation. Uh, that's just not our job. You know, I think there are times where you have to step back and pray and maybe recommend a book, but a conversation to every single person who has issues regarding stances that could be considered racially biased or, you know, uh, bigoted in any kind of way, it's just not healthy for you. And so to, to go through that trauma, you just have to ask yourself, it, am I supposed to do this? Is this a person that I should, again, being connected to the spirit, is this a person that I should, I should pursue and that I should try to win and be winsome towards? But I, I you know, not everybody is built for a, a platform. Not everybody is built to just do this. I think sometimes this is the hot new conversation. Wonder mm. in five years if we're still going to be talking about it in the same way. Mm. And uh, I don't know. And I think a lot of that is burnout. And then also, you know, when you figure out which lane you're in, like some people are called to more racial reconciliation. Other people call it to more anti-racism. Other people call it to academic. Other people are called to the, just the church, their local body. Other people call it to youth. Other people, it, once you figure out kind of that lane and where you're running in when it comes to racial justice and reconciliation, that can help you not expend energy in other places that aren't your gifting, so to speak, that aren't where I'm not an academic. I know this about me. I'm not an academic. I know this about myself. And so I'm not going to expend energy trying to to do the academic work yet. You know, so, yeah, that's just that's what I would say. Jamar, you might have some other stuff. Yeah, you super spiritual, man. Uh, that's good. That's good stuff. I'm okay. just Wokeville, Wokeville, Wokeville. I'm gonna just take it down to the to the common saint level. OK, not the super saints. Um for me, humor has been a massive help. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's to me, it's like 360 degree racial reconciliation, anti-racism work. So I'm reading and studying about it for school. I'm talking about it, writing about it through ran and past the mic. Um, we live it just, just as African-Americans in everyday reality in America. And so I need some place where I don't have to so heavy all the time for me it's a weightiness and so how do you how do you how do you put down that weight for a moment and for me humor has been and it, it can be as simple as looking at you know a, a buzzfeed list of of funny memes it can be um watching a television show uh, i have a special affinity for kevin hart his humor is not all clean i'm not recommending it for that reason um mm -mm. no y'all just see eye to eye Y'all just see What's eye that? Y'all just see eye to eye. You know, because he's, <laughs> he's short. You're See, short. I didn't even go there. I, I, <laughs> that was an alley-oop, and I didn't go there. Let the record Look, state. I, that's one celebrity I want to get a picture with because it, it, it will be. We'll be at the same height, and, <laughs> and I won't feel really weird. So, so anyway, yeah, laugh, laugh. Humor is good. Laughter is good for the soul. Also, um, like Tyler said, rest and solitude for me, that's reading books. You know, um, it's, it's, it's picking up a book that I don't have to read for classes, doing something enjoyable, which I got to force myself to get out because even the books I enjoy reading are, are like about race or, or, or something heavy like that. So, so I read fiction. Um, I try to read fiction a lot and, and I'm not, you know, literarily minded so it's like young adult fiction is fine for me you know just mm, something to wow. get my mind off of it and uh get out i mean for me 
well, I've got to get it out of my brain. So it's either talking it out if if my wife feels like listening to me because I talk about this stuff all the time, or I journal. I journal quite a bit, and for for me, that really helps to even if it's just a jumbled, garbled mess that if I read over it again, I'm like, what? It gets it out of my brain, and I feel like I have space in my head to to live and to and to think again. So just some basic things. That's good. All right. We got Courtney who wrote in saying, uh, as an interracial family in a majority white reformed church, what do we do with all of the things we're learning about racial reconciliation in the church? My head is brimming with thoughts about these tough issues, but I need some practical steps for how to move forward. Yeah, that's you, Jamar. Practical steps. Um, Come on, Jamar. This is LeBron on the fast break, man. Come on. <laughs> I don't know about that. Let me let me speak to pastors. Uh, if there are any pastors listening or share this with them. Um, pastors, I know your job is incredibly hard and complex. You're working with a massive variety of people. You've got people who are younger, people who are middle-aged, people who are older. You've got men and women. You've got wealthy folks. You've got folks in different professions. You've got students. So it's incredibly diverse no matter what the racial and ethnic makeup is. And you're trying trying to balance all of these things. You're trying to push ahead, but not leave your people behind. And that can be especially an issue with race, because no matter where you are as a, as a pastor, as a leader, there's going to be people who are way behind you. And there's also going to people be people who are ahead of you. I would encourage pastors, A, to listen um, a lot of times folks just need to be heard. And I can especially say that as a racial minority in predominantly white evangelical spaces, a lot of times we, we're, we're not necessarily looking for a, a structural change immediately. I mean, that's down the road, but not necessarily immediately. A lot of times we just want to know that the, the leaders get it. They hear me and they understand so that I'm not sitting in the pew thinking that this person who's preaching and leading the church has no clue about my burdens or my struggles. So, so really listening is a good point. And also for folks in the majority, that, that goes for the same. I know some very woke white people um, who are burdened by the sort of inertia in their church. And so listening to them as well. And I would also encourage pastors this is something to take risks on. This is something, you know, Paul was always asking for boldness and courage because he knew that what he was doing required boldness and courage. If what you're doing with race doesn't require boldness and courage, I would encourage you to interrogate that. And why not? And are you pressing hard enough? Um because the reality is, you know this already, Pastor, there's going to be, no matter how fast or slow you go, there's going to be a certain segment that's not happy with you. Well, that's not your main constituency. Your main constituency is God and doing his will. Now, for the person in the pew, I say, yes, talk to the leaders and, and work with the leaders, but that's not your only recourse. Leaders love when people in the pews um, take initiative. And so one of the things I always recommend is get together with a small group of like-minded people. Could be three people, five people, six, eight people, whatever, who have the same sort of uh, questions that you do, who are, who, are, who are hovering around the same topics that you do as far as race and ethnicity. Just get together. And wherever two or three are gathered and, and they're praying and the Lord is with them, you'll be amazed at what can come out of that. It could just be cathartic, like, hey, I'm not the only one. Or y'all could say, hey, let's do something. And then if you do, 
it's a lot easier to go to the leadership and say, listen, we've been praying, we've been thinking, we've actually been practicing some of these things, and we just want to share it with you. Maybe it would be helpful for the church on a wider scale. So I guess my encouragement is you don't necessarily have to wait for the leadership to to do everything, but that you have the Holy Spirit, like Tyler was saying before, and the Holy Spirit will lead you and gather with others in your congregation, in your community, and see what happens. That's good, bro. Good, LeBron. <laughs> All right. So we had so we had Bentley who wrote a couple of questions that I'm going to kind of merge into one. Um, talking specifically how Christians speaking about racism seem to have kind of different definitions for what that term actually means. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does this differential di- divergence hinder the discussion? And further, how does an improper definition of racism actually obstruct healthy thinking, dialogue, and progress in this area? Yeah, I think this is very important. I've I've said recently over the past year, I think very frequently I've said that the question has never been, is racism bad? The question has been, what is racism? And so I think following the changing of laws that ended Jim Crow segregation in the South and ended some of these legal discriminatory means, what we've had to confront is that racism might be a little bit deeper. It might be more so instead of racist acts, think of racism as racist acts, but thinking of it as a racialized society um, that sin has created brokenness in the world that extends far deeper than what we would see on the surface. I, I try to help people understand this. I was speaking at a high school recently, and I said, when you think about how Jesus came, he came not to abolish the law, uh, but to fulfill it. And he holds, really, he deepens what the law says. Right. So he says, hey, you've heard don't murder. But what I say is if you hate your brother, you're guilty of it. You know, you've heard don't commit adultery. But I say if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he's raising the standard, showing that maybe it's not just in the fulfillment of the law, quote unquote, I fulfilled it. I'm not this. I'm not that. But maybe it's more of a heart posture and a heart position. And so what I would say is I think we have to be honest about the ways in which the racialization of society has impacted all of society and has impacted many areas that we wouldn't initially think. Um, Jamar and I were talking about it before. Uh, Flint doesn't have clean water, man. Like I don't, I don't get it, you know, Mm. Um, Mm. you know, what's like, it doesn't have clean water. And so what I'm trying to figure out is if this were Malibu, would it be the same? Mm. And that's just an honest question that I ask as a black man. And I say, well, somebody's like, well, you know, that doesn't mean it's racist. And that's, that's, that's inconsequential. What have we placed value on? When we talk about water, a fundamental resource, clean water, what have we placed value on? And who have we decided is going to get urgent assistance? And I say, that's evidence of, of racialization. That's, you know, we would call that environmental racism. People are like, man, well, you were just saying they intentionally poisoned the water and they did this and they, listen, I'm not... It's poison. It's bad water. So what are we going to do? So I think it's important for us if we don't have that definitional um, consistency in the conversation, we're constantly going to be talking past each other. Because I think there is room for people who don't do the macro work, who don't necessarily um, are aren't necessarily activists, so to speak, that they're more reconcilers and bridgers on an individual level. But I think as we define what racism is, if we keep it constricted to overt racial bigotry and slurs and burning crosses, 
I think we're going to miss each other on, on actually how to get to what justice actually is. Amen. Um, I would add that we have to be very wary of creating a false equivalency when it comes to racism. And so you'll hear a lot of people claim reverse racism. Well, to that, I say, yes, people of color can be prejudiced just like white people can. Um, so a black person can hate a white person because of their skin color and, and what they assume about them. The difference uh -oh. is. Uh oh, Jamar. Uh oh, Jamar. You're talking about power now. I'm saying so a very I, th I think I think others may have a different opinion, but I think a helpful a shorthand definition of racism is prejudice plus power. Okay, so 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 the reverse racism thing doesn't exactly hold true because as an African American in our society and culture, I don't have access to the same kind of power a white person has or has had historically, whether you're thinking about economically, politically, uh, culturally, even ecclesiastically, if you're talking about the white evangelical church. And so and so the difference is I can't I can't I can't catalyze my hate by embedding it into a structure or a framework. But a person with power can do that. Yep. They can act on their hate in certain ways. So they can make the laws, they can put a sign over the drinking fountain, or they can, you know, redline a district and, and they can put their prejudice into action because of their power. And so we all have heart issues. We all have sin issues to where we dislike other people for, for, for unbiblical sinful reasons. Yeah. But let's not say that's the same thing as racism because of the power aspect, which is, which is an imbalanced power differential between different people groups. Yeah. And it even, and it even affects the way in which we categorize racism. So people with power or with the majority will create standards by which they respond to the racism that the minority claims they are experiencing. Well, you mm. know, you need to give us more facts. Like, well, what about facts? Like, what about wait for all the facts? <laughs> that's, that's a power. That, that's a, that's a power move. Like that's you set you moving the goalposts and saying, it's not enough that you, your experiences, it's not enough that there's history. It's not enough that you can point to certain, no, no, no. We, we need, our type of evidence. You know, that's, yes, that's disenfranchisement. Yes. That's, that's marginalization, you know? So that's, that's why King wrote the book. Why we can't wait. Exactly. I mean, just precisely. Yeah. Good. That's good. Well, we've had, uh, there's so many questions that we, we got for this AMA. I think it's safe to say we definitely need to do another one of these uh, soon, especially once all the technical uh, frustrations that Facebook and YouTube have thrown in our faces are all resolved and everything can go a lot smoother. But I think we do have one final question for this episode that we've got time for. Uh, uh, make it a good this, one. Make it a good one. This is oh, no. probably the most important question that has ever been asked in the history of this podcast. It is, uh, this comes in from Beth. <sighs> Beth asks, which Star Wars character would you most want as an elder at your church and why? So Tyler, oh, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and kick that one off? Because I know Jamar's got so many on his mind right now. <laughs> I'm not going to say the joke that I said before the podcast, Jamar, so I'll save you that. Um, okay, very good. <laughs> it's on the beginning. Just rewind it to the beginning. You'll hear me tell it. Um, <laughs> and so, listen, there's a lot of people in the Star Wars universe that I could point to. Um, there's some obvious names, but here's one I'm going to give you that I 
really like one of my favorite Star Wars characters. He's not necessarily my favorite Star Wars character, but I think as an elder, he would work. And that's the Jedi Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, okay. yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, so, so Qui-Gon, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank Absolutely. you, Bo. Absolutely. You, you, you coming back to my side here. Thank you, Bo. I appreciate <laughs> this. But Qui-Gon Jinn, who was the, um, uh, his apprentice was Obi-Wan Kenobi. So he's the, the master of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he was only in one Star Wars film, which is The Phantom Menace. And that's not one of the best Star Wars films by any stretch of the imagination. But his character is so intriguing because he is wise and confident and very compassionate but he has this streak with Mm -hmm. the status quo Mm -hmm. and with the council that is so fascinating so what i like to say is qui-gon has the appropriate level of righteousness with just a little bit of ratchet like just a tiny bit of ratchet to say like the status quo is not going to control how we do things moving forward now i got him into some trouble you know he turned you know he got anakin hooked up with Obi-Wan, then that led to, you know, him being Darth Vader and all that. Hey, he can't can't be blamed. Everybody has clay feet. But I'm just saying, (laughs) he's got the appropriate righteous ratchet, like, level and mix. I just, I just really like Qui-Gon. That's so good. He's going to look at the council and be like, man, get out of here. Like, I'm doing my own thing. Spoke truth to power. Qui-Gon Jinn, one of those few, like, like, you know, the prequel, say what you will about him, but the the character of Qui-Gon Jinn, like, like he, I look at what they're doing with old Luke. And like in many respects, Luke is kind of the, I mean, he is the successor successor of, of Qui-Gon Jet. That's beautiful. Excellent choice, Tyler. Jamar, I, I can you, only bro. imagine you're going to take it to new new levels. Well, obviously, the, <laughs> the, the choice for me would be uh, Mace Windu. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Y'all don't remember true. him? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. We know Mace. <laughs> He's Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Is that, is, is that you just want Samuel Jackson? You just want, you just want Samuel, Samuel Jackson. L in your elders meetings. That's what you want. Okay. I'm tired of these Armenians in this session meeting. <laughs> Look, yo, can we even, can we even keep that in? That's so funny, bro. He he was the most senior Jedi Master after Yoda. He 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 suspected the Sith were returning. Uh, he was a, a a general during the Clone Wars until, of course, he was killed by Darth Sidious. He's got this on Wikipedia. No, 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 no. He's got this on Wikipedia right now. <laughs> Bro, send me this. Link. <laughs> I do not believe that you hey. know that off the cuff. <laughs> Bro, I'm dying over here. What is Link? I'm just telling you. Look, Mace Windu is the man. And uh, if we needed an elder, I want him on it because I feel like he would be wise. But if we need to go to war, we're going to go to war. Well, you know, he created his own Jedi Jedi art form. So he created his own lightsaber dueling style, you know, the Vapas see, style, which is really yeah. cool. But see, here's the thing, like the, the, the Sith came into power, like right under his nose. So he just wasn't even, so he ain't, his discernment game weak. Discernment okay. game so super you, weak. You're going you gonna to put it on him like there wasn't a the whole council. Well, you, you know, said, oh, no, look, man, so when it comes down, down to it. Yoda, so, I mean, that's what well, you said. Well, it came in man. under Yoda, too. So, Yoda, Yoda, Yoda's the one in the, in charge. Yeah, see, but Yoda was old. Yoda was old, bro. Oh, okay. Like, you know what okay. I'm saying? Like, Yoda was in his senior years. <laughs> see, the, see the, yeah. Mace just missed it, man. Look, y'all see, the other yeah. council members were all staring at each other while Yoda and Mace did all of the talking for the entire council. Everybody else was just holding the bench down. Like, basically, every single decision was made by those two right there. So... Anyway, all right, great questions. Great questions. <laughs> <laughs> Jamar, I need that link, man. Don't <laughs> that link. 
Wikipedia. I, I know exactly what he's reading. That's hilarious. Uh, well, thank y'all once more. One more time to all the listeners who sent in questions. Um, those of you who sent in questions before, I, you know, I wish we had time to go into all of them. I, I see on Facebook a lot of y'all have been sending in, uh, continually sending in questions. And so, like I said, we will definitely be doing one of these again in the yeah. future. Um, one, one more, one more thing. Yeah, I just got to say this before we we hop out. Just two quick shout outs. The first is um, shout out to Jamar Tisby, recent birthday, man. Happy birthday. Yes. Thank uh, you. To Thank you, brother. Also want to shout out Elodie as well. Um, yes. Absolutely. Just absolutely amazing. It was her birthday as Happy well. Birthday. So shout out to you, Elodie. We wouldn't be able to do anything that we do at Rand Network without you. And also Jamar, man, it goes without saying, brother, you the truth, man. I appreciate you. Man, the feeling is mutual. It takes one to know one. Like I said, we will definitely be doing this again in the future. If you have not done so already, head over to Facebook, search for Pass the Mic, join the group. Uh, that's the best way to find out about when uh, changes to the schedule are coming or when we do special events like this. Uh, it's a great way to get feedback and to keep the conversation going. Uh, you can also follow everybody. Uh, why don't we go around the room real quick and say where we can follow ourselves or where people can follow us. Jamar? At Jamar Tisby. Yeah, Burns23, follow at your own risk. You already know. And I'm at the real Bo York, uh, and that's going to do it for this week. But we'll see you soon on the next Pass, Pass the Mic. Pass the Mic. Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.